This month, of course, saw the hugely important centenary of the Anglo-Irish Treaty coming into effect, creating the Irish Free State on the 6th of December 1922. The names of the plenipotentiaries who negotiated that treaty are, of course, well-known, names like Arthur Griffith, Michael Collins. But there were dozens of other people involved in the negotiations in London, advisers, secretaries, bodyguards, messengers and support staff. Their stories are told in the book The Men and Women of the Anglo-Irish Treaty Delegations 1921, a commemorative volume written and edited by descendants of the delegation members. Our producer, Lorcan Clancy, found out more. Mary Falkert is not a name we know today. It's not a name we associate with the Anglo-Irish Treaty, but she was a big hit with journalists in 1921 in London, where she was the head cook for the Irish delegation. I mean, I loved finding out about the people who have been totally forgotten in history. Mary Falkert was from Oldcastle in County Meath. She seemed to be an older woman, the older of most of them there. She's described as matronly and jolly and the mother of the party. And the English and American newspapers were fascinated by her and they kept asking her about her cooking. And of course, it was very stereotypical about potatoes and Irish stew. That's Fiona Murray, co-editor of the book. But they actually quoted some of her views. They said she had a subtle wit. When they asked her about potatoes, She, to quote her, she said that the delegates may be too busy to think about what they're going to eat, but they're not too busy to know if their food is well cooked. They'd die on English cooking because the English cooks mistreat Irish potatoes. They peel them, but we Irish always cook them in their jackets. And a journalist said that it's said in Downey Street it's her seasoning puts so much pep in the Irish delegates. So she had a pretty responsible job there feeding, you know, 40 or 50 people. And it was the same for some of the other, well, the background people, the couriers, the, um, the bodyguards, the, the secretaries. There's some lovely stories which we got from the families. This book is full of stories like that. Stories of the people behind the scenes who provided support and sustenance as the negotiators took on the might of the British Empire and the resources of the British Civil Service. During these negotiations, the signatories obviously worked so hard and they carried the can. But they weren't experts in everything. They needed the economic advisers. They needed these advisers. They needed the defence, military, intelligence, economic, all these advisers. They needed people to cook for them. They needed people to type. They couldn't have done it on their own. And I think it's part of the our Irish story. And it's a shame not to remember people who even had a small part. And I think it's only nowadays we're beginning to remember that women, people with lower, lower paid jobs, all had a role to play. So my name is Edith Sagara, born O'Shiel. And the book really has, I think, 20 authors. Although Fiona Murray and I, who are the editors, we actually wrote it. But it was with the help of the families. And my particular concern was that the women should be introduced, should be part of it. And that was specific in the title. I'm a, actually a social historian of literature, so I'm always much more interested in what ordinary people say. And when we went into it, we historians had identified some 41 members of those who travelled. And we came up with 30 more names. And on the occasion of the launch... We were so pleased to see that the granddaughter of one of the waiters was now very high up in Brussels. <laughs> so, and this to our group, in a sense, proved just how far Ireland has come. 
Ida's grandfather, Timothy Smiddy, was a financial advisor to the delegation. As a young man, he spent some time as a seminarian, but decided against a life in the priesthood. He then studied commerce in Cologne, and later became the first professor of economics at University College Cork. He was simply a financial expert. He gave financial expertise, and then he wrote quite an important paper for Collins on how to manage Ireland's obligations to Britain under the treaty. And this is in the the National Archives. Michael Collins sent him to Washington after the treaty split, and he stayed there until 1929, making contacts and setting up diplomatic relations with the USA. My grandfather was the most interesting person. He was, unlike me, he was very small. I don't think he was even five foot. And sometimes very small people are even more assertive than very tall people. Now, he was, because of his years in the seminary, he was not a touchy-feely person. You didn't have... When when I was interested in getting coaching in economic history, when I was doing studying in UCD, he was wonderful. He was clear. He was a marvellous teacher. But he never gave us a present. He never gave us a hug. <laughs> you know, he wasn't like a grandfather in that sense. But he was the most interesting man, and he played the piano like Chopin himself. Fiona Murray's grandfather, Dermot Fawcett, was also an advisor to the treaty delegation, providing guidance on economic matters. I was never aware that my grandfather had been involved in the negotiations and it was only a few years ago when we discovered boxes of documents, 50 years old, in an old family house in West Cork and went through them, that we realised he had been involved. He was educated at the North Mon in Cork, but I think then he himself did a lot to educate himself further and he became an expert in, I suppose, industrial development. All his papers have been given to the Cork City and County Archives to be viewed and to be gone through by historians who might get a better sense of the job that he did over there. Among Dermot Fawcett's papers is his diary, where he made short notes every day. Notes like negotiations broke down and simply treaty signed between Ireland and Great Britain. And that same day, that evening, he'd written down that he went off with Arthur Griffith and Arthur Griffith's wife, a few others, to the vaudeville and they had supper in the in the Tuscan restaurant there. And the next morning they even visited, he wrote down Sir John Lavery's house to look at portraits before they all took the boat back to Ireland. So he's jotted down various evening things, suppers, events as well, which are interesting to read now. Very small, faded pencil, but you can read them. I did know him, although I was only a young teenager when he died. And I remember just this elderly man. I believe uh, he was very black and white in his views, very a man full of integrity. He was lovely with us as children, but he never, we were too young really to talk to him about anything that he'd gone through in the past. Though my older brother did ask him, I think, would he consider writing his memoirs? And Grandad said, no, that there'd be too much hurt. I know he spoke about it to his sons and daughters and to particular friends. So I wish I'd known more. But you know yourself at the time, you never realised the importance because we knew nothing of what he'd done. We literally didn't know. In general, we got the sense that there was tremendous democracy in the delegation, like because they ate together and because they socialised together. I said somewhere in the book, you know, we started... At such a disadvantage, our key people had left school at 13 and 16. 
The others had all been to Eton, to Oxford, they'd honed their skills. And of course, Lloyd George uh, was such a, an operator. <laughs> and I think uh, everybody has a right to being remembered. They were ordinary men and women doing an amazing job in a period which was very stressful for them. One of the secretaries, Kathleen McKenna, Private Secretary to Griffith, wrote afterwards that she literally broke down and cried when the treaty was signed because she was had been in such fear and doubt and despair. She and another secretary used to be saying rosaries in their bedrooms at night. They were so frightened of what was going to come. They went through a lot, all these people. I, I was amazed when I found out that. That book, once again, is called The Men and Women of the Anglo-Irish Treaty Delegations, 1921. And it's available online at buythebook.ie. That's B-U-Y, thebook.ie. That's all we've got time for on this evening's programme. Details of all our items, as well as podcasts, are available on our website, rte.ie forward slash history show. My thanks tonight to Mark McGrath on sound and our researcher Liz Gillis. The History Show is a Pegasus production for RTE. For now, from me, Miles Dungan, and producer Lorcan Clancy, goodbye and thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at RTE History Show.